This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new and settling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. My boyfriend Jason and I went on a month-long camping trip to multiple states recently. Everything had been going really well until we decided to ditch a campground reservation and randomly pitch our tent near Albion Basin within the Uinta Mountains in Utah, not far off from the secret lake trailhead. We parked our car around 3 p.m. at the Albion Basin campground, which was closed for the season. Admittedly, it was a little tense because this was our first dispersed camping attempt, and we had no proper backpacking gear. Upon arrival, we realized the area we wanted to pitch our tent was about two miles uphill. At this point, we started to express a little regret, as we had a planned campsite in Nephi, Utah, that we decided to skip on a whim. After grumping around a bit and having a large lunch to avoid packing food, we packed up our backpacks with the best gear we had to get through the night, as it was going to be 25 degrees Fahrenheit. We set out up the trail, seeing the occasional family or couple heading down the mountain. As we trudged on, we both started to feel strange as if we didn't really even know why we were doing this, as if we should have just gotten a hotel instead of trying to play backpackers for the night. But we both felt like we had something to prove, so we continued on. Fast forward, we made it up to Secret Lake, totally empty, so nothing like the pictures, rather disappointing and eerie. Whatever, we keep hiking up and up in an attempt for seclusion and flat land, when we stumble across a decent space. I see a small cave in the distance and point it out to Jason to deliberate if it's a hell no kind of a situation. But after he checked it out, he says it seems like a small animal's crawl space. No biggie. We set up as nightfall was quickly approaching, play some cards, bundle up, and decide to go to bed early, around 8.30, as we plan to leave ASAP in the morning, maybe 5 a.m., we both start to fade slowly, and after what felt like a lifetime of hours, I woke up abruptly at 11.24 p.m. I woke up with a feeling I've never experienced before. I woke up wide awake, scared, but unprovoked, and as if there was no way in hell I was going to fall back asleep, when I always just sleep right through the night. Jason was asleep, so I let him be, and I just lie there, alert trying to listen to anything I could hear, which was nothing, eerily silent. Around midnight, Jason woke up stirring, much to my delight as I didn't want to feel alone anymore. I told him that I couldn't sleep, but he suggested that I rest my eyes as we were leaving early in the morning. I agreed, 
initially not wanting to be a baby, and also trying to avoid the fact that I was very scared. This was short-lived, as Jason could not fall back asleep himself, and we ended up laying there together, trying to sleep, when I ended up blurting out that I was scared anyway. We agreed it best for us to just stick it through the night, as it was now approaching 2.30 a.m., plus we had a small axe and a pellet gun for protection, so I didn't need to be frightened. But not even five minutes later, we're still wide awake, and Jason's head perks up so fast my heart jumped out of my chest. As I whisper, What is it? He replied, Listen. And I sh** you not. We distinctly heard the sound of gravel crunching under boots, as if someone walked up to our tent, stopped, and then walked to my side of the tent. I felt the blood drain out of my face in an instant. In real time, this all occurred in no more than ten seconds, but my mind flashed a million thoughts, and for a millisecond, I was convinced it was a ranger coming to tell us that we couldn't camp here. So I called out, Hello? My brain entirely sure that I had heard human footsteps. Within two to three seconds of hearing them, Jason grabbed the gun and burst it out from the tent for a chance to confront this person, as I knew he heard exactly what I had heard. There was nothing there. As soon as Jason bursted out, and me after him, there was nothing. We heard something walk up so clearly, but no one walked away. Hardly exchanging two words, we packed up our stuff looking over our shoulders terrified, feeling watched the whole time, and we booked it down the mountain with only moonlight guiding our way, too scared to turn on our flashlights. This was the worst 20 to 30 minutes of my life, half expecting to look over my shoulder to find someone following us. When we made it to our car, we locked the doors and started the descent out of the mountains, almost speechless and scared out of our minds. We reached a town at about 3.30 a.m. and slept in a well-lit parking lot of a grocery store. We have obviously since discussed what happened that night, and we were both haunted by the sound of those footsteps that we know we heard. Some of the details of my story are going to be changed for anonymity, but this is a tale 15 years in the making. I work with disabled and vulnerable adults. One time I was grabbing a drink with a friend, Joe, and he asked if I could go work for his girlfriend, Jane. Jane and I got on like a house fire. She had some physical disabilities, but also some mental health issues leading to her being prescribed a raft of antipsychotics. Joe was particularly on top of Jane's meds as he was training to be a mental health nurse. He had me filling in sheets as if I was working in a psych ward at their house rather than a private residence. Usually, I simply make sure the people I work with take their meds. Sometimes, if they're controlled drugs, I might need to fill in a tick box, but he had full-on sheets that I was expected to fill in as a nurse would. Over time, I realized just how controlling Joe was and how much he used Jane's mental health against her. Gradually, I realized that if he attended doctor's appointments with her, she would get an increase in meds. If I attended with her, this didn't happen. Joe was constantly stressing me out with how useless he said I was. 
not putting items back into cupboards perfectly, making spelling mistakes, or missing punctuation on the over-the-top med sheet. I didn't notice quite how off-balance he was keeping me, but I knew that I was stressed out. So stressed, I had several episodes of insomnia. One of these episodes had led a doctor to believe that I was hallucinating while going about my daily activities. The doctor gave me sleeping pills, and the hallucinations didn't come back. When I saw Joe hit Jane for the first time, I didn't have the wherewithal to call social services, but Jane claimed it hadn't happened. Joe said I'd misunderstood what was going on, and that I didn't have any right to interfere with their relationship. The first time Jane left, Joe claimed I'd had undue influence over her, and left me checking words, I said, in case I was somehow influencing her as a vulnerable person. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When Joe pinned me to a wall by my throat because I tried to prevent him from hitting her, I knew that I needed to leave, so I mentally gave Jane until January to leave him, and then I'd stop working there altogether. I registered a complaint with Joe's nursing course about his treatment of the vulnerable. She left him before that Christmas. By June, without him influencing her doctors, she had been taken off all psych meds and hadn't had an episode since she'd left almost as if her stressor wasn't present anymore. Her physical disabilities improved significantly as well in the years since she left. That's because of the lack of unnecessary psych meds, I'm sure. I haven't worked for Jane in years as she moved away to marry a lovely bloke. Now I do work for a young adult who is apprenticing in a workplace, and for his first six months has me in a breakout area identifying anything a disability charity can provide for his access needs. His colleagues chat away to me on their breaks, including one who is very proud of his daughter, a nurse. The nurse has a specific colleague, who at first would provide fun, crazy tales of the wild things that would happen within the ward. Then the colleague began turning up to work whilst drunk or high. Then the colleague boasted about keeping an ex-girlfriend's interfering friend quiet, by feeding her the girlfriend's drugs so she didn't call social services on him. The daughter, after hearing this story, immediately filed a formal complaint. Then I got to see a photo of this colleague, and of course, it's Joe. I'm stuck here thinking about those times I hallucinated due to insomnia, or was it that he just put something in my tea? I guess I'll never know, but I certainly have my own suspicions. So it's around midnight. I had just gotten off of work. My boyfriend and I are watching TV and had just put out a blunt when there's a knock at my door. We both look at each other in confusion when a second round of knocks goes off. He gets up off the couch, looks out the peephole, and recognizes it's a woman that had talked his head off when he was checking his apartments out before moving in. She's, as he describes, probably in her 50s, 
and super annoying. He sees her every morning when he's going to work, and she always waits for him to leave first before driving off. He reluctantly opens the door as I take the paraphernalia out of sight. I can hear her voice, but she's speaking incoherently until he apparently deciphers heat and not working, to which he says, your heat's not working? She says yes, and asks him to look at it when our cat walks out the door. So he steps out into the common area hallway, closes the door, and picks the cat up. The lady begins walking upstairs, so he brings the cat back in our house, and goes to follow her. He sees the woman standing in her doorstep as he reaches the top of the steps. And from this point she says, Never mind, it's working. Meanwhile, all the lights in her apartment were off, pitch black. She then says, You can still come in and take a look at it if you want. He says, Uh, no thanks, and decides to not wait around for anything else weird to happen. As he turns around and descends down the steps, returning to our apartment, where he sat in silence for five minutes, trying to piece together what the f*** just happened, before regaling me with the story that I just told you. Fast forward to about 1.30, maybe 2 a.m. My boyfriend is asleep now, when I hear steps coming down the stairs. And then, you guessed it, knocking, but faint this time. I know it's not on my door, so I look out the people, and there she is again, this time knocking on my neighbor's door, yelling more incoherent words for a solid five minutes. Eventually, she just walks away with no answer, but not in the direction of her apartment. I hear her walk back upstairs maybe an hour later. It's just strange. Fast forward to now. She's knocking on our door again, 3 a.m., to which, of course, she got no answer. But as I'm looking out the peephole, I can see her mumbling to herself as she knocks. She walks away like before, the opposite way of the stairs, and I didn't hear her go back upstairs until about ten minutes ago, as she stomped her way up there, obviously pretty mad. Just a very odd experience. I wish I didn't have it in the middle of the night while stoned. I'm going to guess early dementia, maybe substance abuse. I have an update, as this happened all on Friday night. My boyfriend went to his car to go to work Monday morning and noticed a nail driven into the side of his tire. I'm not saying it was her who did this out of rage to her unanswered knocks, but it was very convenient as he didn't drive all weekend, so there's no telling when it happened. He did, however, call our complex about the knocking and yelling at all hours of the night. Update number two. It's Thursday now. 1.46 a.m. and almost a week later. Remember how I said my boyfriend normally sees her every morning on his way to work? He hasn't seen her once this entire week. Her car has sat in the same spot as well. Also, we haven't seen a single light from her apartment. Not when he gets home at 8 p.m., nor when I get home at 11 p.m., going to see if I'm able to call in a wellness check on her in the morning because I have a feeling something isn't right. I'll continue updating if anything comes about. Final update. I don't know how much further this is going to go, but I think I'm going to recuse myself at this point. 
We phoned the authorities and requested a wellness check. They called the building managers and asked to coordinate a stop by because the lady lives pretty much above us and they did this in the AM. I got to hear the police and the property manager walking up and knocking on this woman's door to which there was no response. I heard the manager take out his key ring and promptly open the door while the police stated their intentions aloud that they were there to make sure she was okay and that nothing was wrong. Then, silence. No words at least. I could hear the sounds of police boots walking around upstairs, but that was it. After a few moments of this, they exit the apartment. The police thank the manager for helping out and head down the stairs past my door. As the manager is a few seconds behind them, I take this opportunity to open my door and let him know that I'm the person that phoned this in and to ask if she was all right. He looks at me with a quizzical look on his face and says that nobody was home and it looked like it had been that way for a while. Strangely, there were no large pieces of furniture in the house, no TV, no bed, no anything of the sort. Just a small table left in the kitchen off the main living room. On the table was a note. The manager had it in his hand and he held it up to ask if I had any idea what it meant. The note was scribbled and hardly legible, but I believe it said, no heat. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.